Welcome, everybody, to the Pierce Point Podcast. We have a fun episode <laughs> in front of us for one very obscure parable, uh, which we are already laughing about. So we, <laughs> we're going to jump into this in Luke chapter 16, and we're going to throw in a couple of comments, uh, a comment by Mike Van Fleet and Bob Girding as we go through with it. But first things first, what stands out to you, sir? Well, I think it stands out that this is probably one of the most complicated and hard to understand parables that Jesus told. It seems, and we'll read through it, but if you read it on its face without understanding the background of it, it seems that 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 this representation that's here, the symbolism that's here of this employer, this rich man, uh, ha- who represented it in many commentators' mind, God, was actually saying it's okay to be dishonest. Well, that is absolutely not what is going on here. So without doubt, and from many perspectives, we will disprove that reality uh, completely, but we're going to jump through it piece by piece. One thing that I would cause, uh, I would caution everybody against when it comes to reading their scriptures is in taking the titles too seriously. These titles, for example, the unrighteous steward, uh, we'll deal with what this steward is and what is the problem with this steward here in a second. But uh, when we read these titles too deeply, when we when we embrace them as inspired scripture, which they're not, the titles were added later, we tend to cloud what we're about to read. Mm-hmm, we just exactly. kind of jump in and we assume a lot of things and we just have to be careful. So starting at verse 1, Here we go. Now, he was also saying to the disciples, now, remembering where we were yesterday, uh, that Jesus had been talking to a group of uh, Pharisees who were grumbling uh, while he was in a meeting with sinners and tax collectors, and apparently his disciples are also present here as well. Now, there's no reason for us to read that this was just the twelve the apostles proper, right. uh, but instead the disciples, that that large group, again, we, we throughout this uh, podcast series have been talking about keeping categories straight of who is being talked to. So he was also saying to the disciples, and make sure when you read those things, you know that he's also communicating in the earshot intentionally of other people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he says, there was a rich man who had a manager. And this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. Now, right off the bat, we have to deal with what is happening there and separate that, right, mm-hmm. from Absolutely. everything else that follows. So what what about that? Y- yes, I think that this can mean this can mean a myriad of things. This squandering his possessions can mean anything from taking money that wasn't necessarily his to to not being very diligent with the uh, with the money that belonged to the manager who was his employer his boss if you will and so it doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't necessarily mean that this guy was a thief in in what he has been reported to his employer yes. it just may mean that he's not very good at what he's doing he's not very good at being a manager of this money and 
probably was doing it kind of in a flippant attitude. He just didn't care too much about it and was not, just didn't care. Yeah, very much. Two things that I would point out as we're reading this. Number one, he was accused of. Yes. He was He was reported to have been squandering. And then the next piece of uh, information that I believe is valuable, and, and this within the context of the whole parable, is that he was squandering his possessions. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to connect possessions and mammon and money and all of these things throughout this parable, but it's really important, as we'll see throughout the parable, he was in charge of these items of the um, master. And so if he's squandering the master's possessions... It could be that he is, uh, it could be that he's consuming them, it could be, right, embezzling, if, if you would, uh, in that respect. It could be that he's not handling them properly. As you rightly put out, he could just be poor at his job, whatever it is. But nonetheless, keep in mind possessions as we go on. And, not, and don't try not to think solely of he was squandering money because we're going to have a problem with what we see about money here in a second because it's slightly different. So then verse two jumps in and it says, and he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management for you can no longer be manager. Now remember what he's managing. Yes. He's managing things. Yeah, prop goods like goods. like oil and yes. wheat and and th- yes. exactly. And we we often read this for what we hear at the end of the parable, and we're going. He's managing money. He's he's not necessarily managing money. I mean, he he does have to deal with money, but he's mismanaging the master's possessions. That's important in verse one. So then, verse three, the manager said to himself, "What shall I do?" Since my master, now we're talking about the guy who's been accused here. Mm -hmm. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, the management of possessions. I am so, I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed (laughs) to beg. So, so this sounds like half of American workers. Okay, no, that was bad. (laughs) But it's like, come on guys, you're going to have to get a shovel or you're going to have to do something. So this guy basically is really fearful of what is about to happen mm-hmm. because he knows he's going to have to actually do something for real, do some hard work, or he's going to be on the he's going to be on the line at the temple mm-hmm. waving his cup around mm-hmm. saying alms for you know alms. So then verse 4, I know what I shall do so that when I am removed from the management people will welcome me into their homes. Now, this is where the parable takes a turn, an important turn. Yes. What he's concerned about is the people, and he also seems to admit that he has been handling things wrong or that he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he can't prove he was faithful with possessions because he has effectively said, I'm going to be removed. Yes. And when I am, I have to think about the future. Absolutely. And he, and he is concerned about that. He's, as you said in verse three, he's <laughs> not strong enough to dig. So he's right. not going to be a common uh, laborer, if you will. I'm ashamed to beg. He doesn't want to do that. But, and I think you have rightly said that he, he is a guy that, uh, that he knows that he's he's at the very least he's been doing a poor job mm-hmm. of handling of, of a management and this was not uh, this role was a common role 
that 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 wealthy people had many managers that handled their goods, and sometimes it was land, sometimes it was real estate, and sometimes it was uh, vineyard workers or uh, workers in their field. He, they would they would hire them and pay them out of the goods that came from the field, but all, but the money that was left after everything left over to get that crop in belonged to this manager, the owner yes. of that field. Yeah. So this situation was a really common circumstance that would have been well known to everybody listening. Yeah. And the framework that you have just alluded to, which which you'll elaborate a little bit more as we go on, but the framework that you've just alluded to is vitally important to understanding this parable. Yes. Uh, without that, we're, we're also thinking that what's the problem here is this guy's just mismanaging money. Okay, so, and his master's money at that. Verse 5 goes on, and uh, he says, verse 4 says, he wants people to welcome them into their homes, and if he'll do something, they will do this. Verse 5, he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. Notice that these are possessions now, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's something here. It's an exchange or something like this. A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he says to another, and how much, uh, where were we at there? Sorry, verse, verse seven. seven. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. And then verse eight, and his master praised, uh, yeah, write down 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Okay, all of a sudden we have this weird situation. Yes. Seems like this guy is being rewarded because he cheated his master. Yeah. And he's being rewarded by, by his master. Makes no sense. Something's wrong. Makes Go no sense. It. And it is a, and it is, uh, if you read it on its face, that's exactly what you're going to read in there. That is absolutely not. Couldn't be further from what's happening here. So the first thing we have to do to really understand this is to go back to the culture and to the to the practices of that day. So these managers, first of all, uh, this this steward, this manager, is afraid that once he loses his job, he's going to have no way to make an income. So he goes to the people that owe his master money, and he reduces their bill in order to get favor with them so that in the hopes that once he loses his job, one of them may either hire him, uh, they may either uh, take him into their home and he, that he may be able to go to work for them. He, he, he's trying to find a way that he can keep making a living. So at, if, if we look at, at first glance, we might conclude that this manager was cheating his master by reducing the money that was owed by the master's debtors. But if this were true, why would any, any employer, any master commend, commend the guy? He would not be commending that, him. Not only that, why would these other people want to hire him exactly. if they know he's cheating they, them? If, so they know he's, if they know he's dishonest. So that would make no sense. The, the guy would be any, any, man, any manager in, or any uh, master in his right mind, any employer in his right mind would say, you're, you're not a shrewd manager, you're a thief. Yes. But he didn't say that to the guy. So because of this apparent concern here, there have been a lot of theories as to what's going on here. So... Here, here's what's going on, and this is 
This is well documented by by scholars, by uh, 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 scholars of the of the first uh, century Israel, and also in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So here's here's what this is about in our culture. An employee like this manager would keep track of money owed to him uh, to his employer by his customers, and in return, the employer, the manager, would get paid a wage. Now, if that manager would reduce the bill that his employer's customers owed to him and was caught, he'd be fired. He may be put in jail. He would be a thief at that point. So is Jesus commending this behavior? Not at all. No. Couldn't be further from the truth. The problem is, is that when when we read the Bible, we assume our own cultural view onto this text, which is going to cause us serious problems if we do it in this one. So, so here here's what this was about. In the first century, the employer did not pay the steward. This was this was a common practice. So the uh, he he didn't pay him a wage. Instead, the steward or the manager made his money by adding a fee onto the bill of his master's debtors. So that were his customers. When the debtor receives the bill from the steward, he doesn't necessarily know what amount on the bill belongs to the master or to to the employer and what amount belonged to the manager. He just, he said uh, only the steward would know, but they didn't care. They knew that this guy got paid for his services. So it wasn't a big deal, commonly done. So when the debtors would pay their bill to the steward, the steward would would take his portion of the bill, that would be his pay, and forward the remaining money to his master, his employer. As this steward is called uh, unrighteous, we would assume that he's doing something that wasn't right, whether it be mismanagement. But what he did, in fact, was go in there, he took the bills and the these bills and reduced his pay. He took his pay, the amount that would be owed to him out of it. There is where he got the favor of these debtors in hope that one of them may hire him or due to his perceived generosity. They would have, they, they would have never, as you've said, they would have never hired the guy if they knew he was dishonest. Yes. It would have been completely the opposite of what he yeah. wanted to do. Notice, notice this point at which he is praised, verse 8 says, and his master praised the unrighteous manager. It is just as easy to read that he is an unrighteous manager because he is not right in his management of his master's business, not because he now cheated his master on top of really being poor at his job, right? If he was poor at his job and his master, I mean, remember how this story began. His master's already called him out to give an accounting for an accusation that he's mishandling his stuff. The master's already upset with him. If the master then comes and finds that he has not only been unrighteous with his management, now he's unrighteous with his honesty, this doesn't make any sense. No. He's going to crush this guy. The idea that the that the manager is unrighteous is that he is not right in his management of a thing. Exactly. What he does with this money has nothing to do with it. And that is why the master praises him. Yes. Because yes. he effectively says, you're a poor manager, but now you're going to take it out of your own pockets so that you don't have to go dig ditches or beg in the temple. Way to go. Yeah, 
Absolutely. There is a shrewd individual right there. Um, that's a guy who understands how to curry favor yes. with people so that he can avoid the bad, yes. the bad thing of his life. So that's what we're actually looking at here. Absolutely. That's even exactly. though we read it so many times and we say, and, and just as a point of, uh, of important uh, study tips for anybody out there listening, just because your commentary at the bottom of your Bible says something does not mean it's what it means. Absolutely. And why do I say that? Because everything above that black line in your commentary Bible is inspired and everything below that black line is opinion. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> Sometimes that opinion's well-informed and I don't want to downplay the value of a solid or the majority of commentary. All I want to say is that there are stories like this that when we try to read it through our lens, we just basically, uh, we basically hobble together the best explanation we can, which by the way, has a thousand holes in it. Absolutely. And people just argue for generations about what it means. When you go back and you find out what, what, Jewish people would have understood in this time and why Jesus says what he says, it makes far more sense. It makes far more sense. And think about this. Jesus would have had to contradicted himself in many areas had he been had he praised this this act. He he would have the just the 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 Jewish law itself dealt harshly with thieves. They he would have had to say, Well, wait a minute. They the Pharisees would have had a good case against Jesus to say, hey, you might not be holding to our law, but you're not holding to Moses' law anymore e- either. Yeah. If he had allowed this to go on with, unchecked and say that he had praised, the, praised this manager and that, uh, that, that he, uh, when he had, uh, had done an act of thievery, the problem of this, uh, the, this, this guy says the, the parable of the parable is this. If you want to interpret this text correctly, you have to read it from the perspective of the people who lived there in that time. Yes. And, and, and you well said that these, some of the commentaries and some of the things at the bottom of the, of the page are well-meaning, well-meaning, but they could, they, they, and, and believe me, there are people smarter than I am that have done many of these, but they missed this. I can yeah. tell you for sure. Yeah. I think, I think the important thing that we have to remember is, um, some is, is coming to the right conclusion is the most important piece of this. Right interpretation is the most important thing of this. So what you might say is, well, I'm reading through my commentary, Nathan. I'm reading through my commentary, Barney. And although they are debating on whether or not this was actually the unrighteous act of him cutting the bill or whatever, they've come to the same conclusion that I believe you are coming to. Well, that's wonderful. And, and I'm grateful that we've at least arrived at the right conclusion. What is that right conclusion? Jesus's commendation is that we ought to be shrewd as sons of light. We ought to be. He has compared us with the world in many ways when he says things like, 
the 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 father, the sinful father, will give his son a, a loaf of bread if he asks for a loaf of bread. He's not going to give him a rock instead of that. Mm-hmm. And so if sinners know how to give good gifts, how much more your father in heaven? He puts these comparisons out there all the time. In this, his comparison, which many of our commentaries, even though they differ in their explanation should hopefully come to the conclusion that what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of light people need to be a shrewd people. Remember who he was targeting in his uh, beginning of this parable. He was targeting his disciples. They ought to be a shrewd people. So Mm -hmm. we're going to explore that shrewdness here in a second. But it is important uh, when we're doing this uh, to, to try to get into the minds of the people that we're listening. Without that... We're going to come up with all kinds of weird understandings. Oh, oh, oh exactly. And and we would, if that were true, if if Jesus was actually commending thievery, the people in the in that in that audience, those folks that would have been would have been listening to him, especially the Pharisees and the scribes who were there, who knew the laws concerning that, would have said, "Hey." Now we've got something yeah. on him. We've been looking for a reason, yeah. and now we found and, it. And and keep in mind, it's something that we that we have talked about before, is that and and what I, we've been doing a a study on the goodness of God in our Sunday morning devo- devotions, and part of that study is that God is not going to lay aside a character trait, one of His characteristics. How, what a trait of God. And he's not going to uh, contradict one of those character traits by doing something else. He's not going to do that. And if you see Jesus, if you read something and you're reading that it contradicts the whole of Scripture, you, you need to dig deeper. Yeah, because you look that's at it again. not going to do that. Amen. So, so we're going to roll through more of this parable and just try to try to explain it or expand on it just a little bit more. But just before we roll into verse nine, it is really important to remember that this idea of people taking on a job and they get paid as they do their job uh, is a very common thing in this day. Think about a tax collector. A tax collector was sent out to collect taxes and they marked up the tax bill so that they could make their money. And they were gouging people like crazy, yes. which is why they were hated. Yes. Okay. This man in this story, in this in this parable, this man is simply doing what was common. And that is, I am representing, say, for example, a hundred measures of wheat. But in the in the big picture of the story, he only had uh, 50 or 80 to work with anyway. Yes. The rest were his as payment. Yes. And so this is just a common way of looking at that. Okay. Yes. So verse 9 rolls in and says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. Now, Jesus is not <sighs> saying here, hey, find a way to unrighteously make friends of yourself uh, for yourself. This word, the wealth of unrighteousness, literally is the word mammon. Yes. So, so he is saying, if we if we just read it that way, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of mammon. Now, what does Jesus uh, uh, what does Jesus say about mammon in another place? He says you can't serve God and mammon together. You yes. you will serve one or the other. He does not say you cannot use mammon. Mm-hmm. You cannot have mammon. Again, the Bible, this is a really important lesson for many Christians today. The Bible does not say that money is evil. 
The Bible says that the love, the love of, of money, money is evil. And trust me when I say uh, the line might be very fine between those two things, yes. but it is the love of money that is the problem. Yes. So he says, make friends for yourself by means of mammon, so that when it fails, and it will, it will, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings, okay? So we're, what, we're do, what we're doing here is being shrewd like the world seems to do intuitively, yes. like this steward did intuitively. Yes. Thoughts on that? Think about if we pursued the kingdom of God with the same vigor and zeal that, that, that people in the world uh, pursue their profits or pleasure, if we worked that hard at proclaiming what Jesus is wanting us to proclaim, at 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 uh, to uh, further the kingdom of God, I we live in an entirely different world. Yes. I mean, you, you we we have people that are zealous, and and I can tell you. And don't get me wrong, I I love seeing people who are zealous for the work that they do, no matter what that work is. You you, you want to do it as unto the Lord. It is it's it is commendable to be zealous for work that you're doing and doing it well and wanting to do it and want if you're working for someone, you should want to make them as much money as you can. Yeah. It, it should be that way. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, that would be an honorable thing. But if we pursued the kingdom of God in that same way, we'd live in a different world. Yeah. I think overall we've seen this we've seen this repeated throughout Jesus sending out his disciples for mission and he'll tell them don't worry about what you're going to eat what you're going to drink yes. what you're going to wear what you're going to do any don't, don't worry about those things why number 1 here's a promise the worker is worthy of his wages i'll take care of you um number which is closely connected with number 2 i suppose which is that the scripture would tell us that god is the provider of our bread that's fine but if we put that idea into this story, what we're realizing is God is saying, listen, money's going to fail. So don't worry about collecting. Yeah. Don't worry about saving. Don't not don't worry about saving it. Let me let me make sure we're clear on this. You got to be wise with it. But his point is, if you can use that for the purpose of the eternal things, yes. if you can use that for the purpose of the eternal things, do it. Right? Yes. Why? Because verse 10 tells us, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. Mm -hmm. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing, well, is unrighteous in much. So, so this man who is unrighteous, uh, who is not faithful with his master's possessions, the, this, you know, these certain levels of wheat and oil and grain and all of these things. Um, he was going to be unfaithful in small things. But what this guy proves is he's actually very shrewd mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in just about all things. So use that shrewdness, do that, and be what verse uh, 11 would say, that is, be faithful in everything, right? Mm -hmm. Therefore, if you have not been, well, the opposite of verse 10. Verse 11 says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you riches who who will entrust true riches to you? Yeah, nobody. Nobody will. That's the. I mean, it's here. Here is. I, I think we have to look at that word, and you brought it out very, very well. The word, the word mammon was was an Aramaic word, which originally meant that in which one puts his trust. That's and so so if you understand that meaning, that would be so where you put your trust, 
And where you that those things that you put your trust in, that should be wealth yeah. to you. That should be wealth if you, and if it's God, how how great is that wealth? How great is that wealth? And if it is earthly or unrighteous yeah. wealth, who of which you know is going to fade? Yeah. Why why would you put your trust in exactly? That? It's like it's like I, I've used this analogy many times in sermons where where I say that faith is trust and that is all, and then I use a chair to be the example of the gospel or something. You are to sit. You are to put your trust in. Why would you put your trust in a chair that you visibly see broken legs? Yes. That you know is going to yeah. fall, right? You Like you can see the weakness in it. Jesus has pointed out a very serious weakness here. And here's the weakness of money. It's going to fade. Yes. It's going to fade. It's yeah. going to be gone. Why put your trust in it? Instead, what you ought to do with it is use it for kingdom purposes. Absolutely Don't right. put your trust in it. Use it. Absolutely. You put your trust in God. You don't use him. Yes. That's, that, we would be wrong that way. You know, I think we do this. We see this in our culture where people use God as an advantage. They use the name Christian to, well, at least in one point in, in American history, you could use that title as a, as an advancement or a way to be elected into political office or something like this. That's using God when you should put your trust in him. Yes. Many people put their trust in wealth when what you ought to do is use it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> use it for the kingdom. You use it for the kingdom. And and if you you know, this is this is a this is kind of a a uh, a lesson in in just common economics uh, and spiritual economics. Yes. Uh, to people that that were listening to this, if for, for example, if if you read that this is all about money in there, okay, okay, it clearly right. was not, but okay, it certainly was a symbol of things. But but here's the what what you have well said. The thing that people miss, Nathan, it was it's so it's so important is that if you want to talk if you want to talk to a money manager about doing doing great investment that's awesome you should do that it should be somebody who understands what god wants because the best place to invest your money is in eternal things even Absolutely. your money even your your monetary wealth can be invested in the yeah. eternal things of god so it, while it's not necessarily about money, it can be your time. It can be many, many, many other things. Absolutely. But Jesus used a, an example that they understood here, completely Absolutely. understood in this situation. It's awesome. I love Very the story. Cool. So verse 10, and we'll just we'll keep rolling. Right, He who is faithful, I just want to restate these things. He who is faithful in very little things is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful, in the use of unrighteous wealth, in, in the use of mammon, in the use of yes. things that are of this world. Who will entrust to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in the use of, what, of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Why, why would you expect to have your own given to you if you're being unfaithful mm-hmm. in another's mm-hmm. peace? Verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. This is where we have our important mammon idea, right? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, there's our word again, Mammon. Yes. You cannot serve God and wealth. So what we need to do is use wealth. This is the point of all of this. Yes. What we need to do is use wealth, not serve wealth. 
Let it serve you. Yes. Right? Yes. You serve Jesus. Yes. He doesn't serve you. He doesn't save you when you, you know, snap your fingers and make your commands. He, you are the one who does his will. You're you're actually the steward. He's the master if if you want to put it in those exactly in right. those terms. But the reality is you use all of these things in the commendable way that says you use them shrewdly. You use them to establish kingdom business. You use them to establish a place even for yourself yes. in in this world and the one to come. And, and, and we can't, once again, e- even in that verse, if we're careful, we will read our world into that. <laughs> and and the, the idea of masters and slaves is not is not something that 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 we have a totally different worldview of that yes. we we see back just a few hundred years and this was way before that so keep in mind Jesus is not having two masters is not like having two jobs it's not that's not what Jesus no. is saying here Jesus has the the relationship of a master and slave in the view a slave can't belong to two masters. No. This is more akin to you having two wives. This is more akin to you having uh, two things running in the opposite directions and pulling you in that way. You cannot do it. He says it's an impossibility. It's an impossibility. If if you think that you're successfully... Now, here's the the piece that that really stood out. If you think that you can do do that, you are deceived because... Mm -hmm. So here's here's the deal. You can have one. A person can be wealthy. This is nothing against wealth or Absolutely monetary not. wealth or any of that. You can have both money and God, but you can't serve both money and God. One has to be used, and one has to be served. Absolutely right. That's, That's important. <laughs> so verse fourteen really does confirm what we've been establishing this entire time, <laughs> and that is found in the response of the Pharisees. Notice here that the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. Mm-hmm. They're, they're amused by him. They're, they're laughing or even ridiculing him. If Jesus was even construed to be saying, do unrighteous things, like you said earlier, they would have said, gotcha. We, yeah. We've got this yes. guy. This guy. Here's the problem with this guy. This guy is unfaithful. This guy is telling people to, to be unfaithful or unrighteous. He's telling them to be thieves. He's telling them not to be, to be uh, people of integrity. We've got him. They didn't hear what we read in that story. They heard what was supposed to be heard in yes. that story. They didn't understand Jesus's point. They didn't like Jesus's ideas. But that is eyes to see and ears to hear, okay? But what we have is them scoffing. And so Jesus says to them, and he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. What in the world could be highly esteemed in this context? What what would he be thinking about right here? Money. Yes. And yes. they were lovers of it. And so God says, I, Jesus says, God knows your heart. Yes. He knows what you love, what you serve, and what you use. You're using God. You're loving money. You need to flip that around or you're dead in the water. Yes. It's these guys would honor someone because of their money, uh, their public display of wealth, their... and. While, high places of honor, high at the places banquet? of honor, but but they, 
but they wanted pe- people to see that that outwardly they were very spiritual, that they were extremely spiritual. But Jesus was saying, you know, I see exactly what you're doing. God knows your hearts. Yes, He knows your hearts. He knew they were lover, that, that they were lovers of money, and it is uh, uh, for 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 some people and some people in the crowd when he would have said, "But God knows your hearts," and he was speaking uh, directly to them. Some would have heard that and been comforted by that. Some would have been heard that and been. Oh my, yes. I'm in deep trouble. Yes, absolutely. So we're, we're, we're still zeroing in. Every verse of this is zeroing in on what are you using and what are you serving? If you're using money and serving God, great. If you're using God, like you just pointed out with these people, and they're promoting, acting all religious and pious, if you're using God but loving money, well, you're the very people that Jesus mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, would call out mm-hmm. in the story. So he says, you justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your heart. For that which is highly esteemed among men, that money issue, it's detestable in the sight of God. He doesn't care. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries One who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. And all of a sudden, Jesus has an ADD moment, (laughs) and he just talks about marriage. I'm going to address that in just a second, but tell me your thoughts Uh, so far. I like, first of all, that that he he starts off, and and I think probably we'll get into exactly what you're going to say, is that, but when he says in verse 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. These guys, he, he knew, he knew part of the issue with these guys was that Jesus was, was seemingly, first of all, they didn't like the idea of him not holding to their written law, to their oral law, to the Mishnah. They wanted to hold him to that, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't be held to that. So he's, he's starting to bring the law into the, this and and. and and explaining to them that 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 was that was proclaimed up until John the Baptist came on the scene, right. and then things turn around a little bit. But yes, yes, it's it's so important. It's so important. So the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and and it's a really obscure uh, Greek phrase there, which actually can be translated, God is being evangelized, yeah. <laughs> right? And so God is being evangelized, and everyone is forcing his way into that kingdom. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. So this idea in all of this is the law is proclaimed, and people are forcing their way in through the gospel. That's not going to fail. This law is not going to fail. It's not going to pass away, right? Um, it's actually easier for heaven and earth to pass away. So then he he puts this weird, obscure mm-hmm. quote about or this statement about divorce in here, and you think, what in the world is happening? 
And this is to be stand, stood in juxtaposition in, in parallel with this law issue. He says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Now, everybody then knew that. They mm-hmm. knew that that's, what's, be, that's yes. what's true, okay? Again, Jesus is not dealing with marriage counseling here. Right. And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. The statement that Jesus is making is one that has been made throughout the scriptures, and that is that God, uh, that God and his people have this marriage covenant, this marriage relationship with each other, right? Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. If they're going to divorce God, if they're going to commit to another one, they're going to be an adulterous people, right? This is... Duh, we have this. This is what happened in ancient Israel. They were an adulterous people. And why Jeremiah records that God effectively says that he writes them a certificate of divorce. But then this, he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. If you're going to be hooked to another, if you're going to be, uh, if you're going to be married to another one, you are committing adultery. He's just picking at these people over and over and mm-hmm. saying, this is the issue. If you are following me, if you are putting your trust in me and using money, let's keep connecting the dots here. Yes. If you are following me and using money, you're you're mine. You're the kingdom people. You've heard John. You've heard the prophets proclaimed until John. You've now heard the gospel. You're doing this. However, if you're going to do it the opposite way and you're going to use me and you're going to serve Mammon, you're going to serve this. You're an adulterer. Yes. This is the story. And you and, and you, that's hard. Exactly. It is. And it's and. Here is a here is a, a, a tidbit from from a, a Jewish scholar in that day that was uh, there was going on that the the Pharisees once again this is so tied to their Mishnah they were they were writing down the rabbinical laws that were changing and making the definitions of what God had said about the divorce and everything and all of this completely changed so. This was this was in uh, a uh, a Jewish a Jewish history book. There was that at, at that time they a a woman had had no right. The tragedy of it was that by writing some of their oral laws down, it was changing the definition of what the law was about. And in the eyes of the Jewish law, a, a woman was just a thing, a possession more than anything. Absolutely. She could divorce her husband only. If he was a leper, apostate, or ravished a virgin, was why yeah. this was all written down. This wives, is all in the mission. Wives divorcing their husbands was uh, near and impossible, uh, utterly unheard of. Otherwise, this one they had no right. But the law says a woman may be divorced. Now, now this is what they were getting. Now, this mm-hmm. is what the the law said. First of all, a woman may divorce with or without her will. A man only with his with, with his will. Uh, uh, the Mosaic law says when a man takes a wife, he, he marries her, and if she finds no favor uh, in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a bill of divorce and puts it in her hand, sends it out of his sends her out of his house, and the bill of, of divorce had to be signed before two witnesses, and it said this: Let this be from me thy writ of divorce and letter of dismissal and deed of liber- of, of liberation, that thou mayest marry whomsoever man thou wilt. Divorce for a man was as simple and easy as that. It took them minutes. So the yeah. interpretation... I'm done. He's, he's done. So there were two schools of thought. There were two rabbis, and one of them was well-known. One of them was 
Hillel, I'm going to geek out for a minute. You just got to just, Hillel was the grandfather of Gamaliel who had taught Paul. And the other one was another rabbi in that day. He was, uh, his name was, and I'm going to butcher the name, but Shammai, S-H-A-M-M-A-I. And uh, the school that uh, of Shammai said that said that uh, that that it was adultery and adultery alone that that's what that meant. But the school of of Hillel said it can mean if she spoiled a dish of food. So if she burns your food, you can divorce her. If she now th- this was cool. If she spun in the street, spun in the street was another uh, was a a symbolism of a woman who was going out on the street and possibly flirting with someone or asking, uh, trying to attract for, for sexual favor. Uh, if, if she was guilty of speaking disrespectfully of her husband's relation in his hearing, if she was a brawling woman, which was defined, <laughs> if she could, if, if the woman whose voice could be heard in the next house, he could divorce her over that. So this, Rabbi Akiba went so far as to say that a man could divorce his wife if he found a woman who was fairer than she. Hmm. So human nature, it being what it was, it was the, the school of Hillel which prevailed so that in the time of Jesus, things were so bad that women were refusing to marry at all. And the whole deal that what God had set down. Now, get this. This is so parallel <laughs> to our world today. The idea that God had set down for marriage was under attack yes. back then. So there's this is some background on all this. I, do, I cannot say for a certainty that that was what was in Jesus' mind when he, when he right. said this, but that was going on right then. Yes. That yes. was going on. And, so it and, brings them into some really interesting context. So, so what, we're, what we deal with when we're reading a passage like this and we see Jesus go off in left field, we have to remember that whatever he's saying has a um, has a teaching behind it. So, of course, 18 and the view of divorce and the view of marriage and the view of remarriage and all of those things, there is biblical teaching on these matters. Yes. But he, he presupposes their clear understanding of these ideas, and he draws them into this story as a partner in a marriage, is what he's doing here. He's drawing the people into this story as a partner in a marriage to make a point. It would be a mistake for us to try to derive our full understanding of marriage and divorce and all these things from verse 18 of a parable right. of a story that has nothing to do with that in a teaching perspective. But what what Jesus presupposes, what Jesus knows is that they understand this yes. idea. And so when he tells them Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. He is pointing to them and saying, there's something wrong with your commitment. 
and your divorcees. You you guys are unfaithful. You are adulterers in some capacity yes. here. And so there's a lot to that. We're going to, of course, have to drive into that tomorrow as we roll into the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, and we will definitely see how far we get with this. I wanted to bring in a couple of comments uh, from the Talk It Over section before we wrap it up today. Mike Van Fleet said, what or who do we worship? Money, possessions, pride, home, car. When we die, none of these things matter. No worldly stuff can come close to our gift that Jesus Christ has offered to us. And I believe that Mike gets awesome. it. I believe it is serve God. You can use money, yes. but money will fade. Yes. Uh, Bob Girding says this, I, as an unjust steward of God, uh, uh, I, as an unjust steward of God's possessions, should be aware of the hereafter. Um, I, I like the humility that Bob brings to the table because he's looking at it and saying, I haven't been just in my stewarding mm-hmm. of God's possessions. The, the idea here is let's be shrewd about it. And then he finishes by saying, as Abraham said, we have the prophets and scripture to guide us now into eternity. We're going to see that part of the story tomorrow as we return to the podcast again with this the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It's been a good podcast today. We are hoping that you will continue to press play on that podcast every day, share it with your friends, hit like on Facebook, or even hit that little heart icon on SoundCloud if that's where you listen to it. You could leave us a review on Apple uh, Podcasts or on Google Play as well. That goes a long way. Um, But... Uh, The most important thing that we want from everybody is for you to listen and engage with us. So if you have comments, if you have points of agreement, disagreement, uh, any thoughts that we have covered or haven't covered that you feel are worth talking about, send us us an email, nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com. Uh, piercepointchurch at gmail.com or barneyestes at yahoo.com. And of course, you can also leave comments in SoundCloud's comment section or in the Facebook comment section. Until tomorrow, we hope you have a blessed day and uh, that God is teaching you more and more through his word. See ya.